right that that Lord you would be our guide and you would lead and guide and direct us and Father just as you were the guide to the children of Israel as they headed from a place of bondage to to the land of promise Lord as we wander may we not wander but Lord may we be led and directed by your Holy Spirit we thank you that you have delivered us from the bondage of sin and death we thank you for that we have the promise of heaven to come Lord, I pray right now that you would just anoint our time in the Word, that you would be glorified. I pray that you would be our teacher, that man would decrease, that that you would increase again, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. There go my notes. Hopefully they're still in order. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one. And again, if you don't have one, or you like that one better, please feel free to take it. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by? Word of God. So read the book, don't wait for the movie, we need to be in that thing every day, amen? Encourage you to get the the reading schedule and read through the Bible. So we're going to look at Numbers chapter 12 tonight, and I'll tell you, this is uh, an interesting part of of Numbers. What a great book it's been. For me, I think I've told you many times that... this is my first time in, in, I don't know how many years of being a pastor, to ever teach through Numbers. I've taught chapters out of Numbers, but I've never taught through the book before. And it's been a blessing for me just to go through and take a look at what happens here. And we've talked about the fact repeatedly that Genesis is a picture of man falling into sin. Exodus is the bondage of sin, putting him into captivity, and then God delivering him out of bondage. We got to Leviticus, it speaks of holiness. And the Numbers really deals with their time in the wilderness. I think Numbers gets a bad rap often because people think it's just numbering people. I know people won't read the book because they don't realize how much is in here. But again, it's them wandering through the wilderness. We talked about the fact that the way that they went through the wilderness was God's divine purpose and God's divine plan. God doesn't do anything by chance. And He had them encamped in what shape? A cross. So they were headed from the place of bondage to the land of promise, they were encamped in the cross. At the center of the cross was the tabernacle, and the glory of God dwelt there. So the glory of God led them, the cloud led them, the pillar of fire led them. They were encamped in the cross, they were headed to the land of promise, they had left the bondage behind them. That's such a picture of us, dwelling in these temporary tents. We've left the bondage of sin and death behind us. We're headed to the land of promise. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. you got to love the Bible. This is... 3,500 years ago, and it applies to every one of our lives today. Now we get later in Numbers, we see that God had a perfect plan in how they were to serve, that everyone was called. I've told you guys this, you're called. You've been born again, then you're called, amen? God didn't call some, He called us all. And when you got saved, He has a plan for your life. We saw that it was His desire that they walk in holiness. We also saw that they would be led by the Lord. Now a couple chapters ago, we saw God's call to move. And again, they were led by the cloud. And then what confirmed the move? When the cloud moved, what confirmed that they were to move? What was it? Remember, the trumpets. Remember? When the trumpets would blow, the cloud would move, and then they would wait for the trumpet to blow. And when the trumpet blew, then they would move out. And the trumpet is a picture of God's Word. It heralds the truth. So we're led by the Spirit, and it's confirmed by the Word. Amen? Some people say, oh, the Spirit's telling me to do this. I've had people tell me stuff, and it's, uh, there might be a spirit, but it ain't the Holy Spirit telling you any of that stuff, right? Well, the Spirit told me. I'm sp- No, the Spirit didn't tell you anything, okay? And that's why we want to confirm it with the Word of God. But what this did is it made them have open eyes and open ears. They had to be looking up for the cloud to be moving, and they had to be listening for the trumpet to be sounding. And isn't that what we should be doing today? 
We should be looking up and being lead, led by the Holy Spirit, but we should be ready because that trumpet's going to sound any day now. Amen? And we're going to be snatched away. And we need to be ready for that. Ears open, eyes up, looking to the Lord. And then last week we saw rebellion come into the camp. And if you remember rebellion coming into the camp, remember what happened that after nearly a year of being encamped in Mount Sinai, finally the cloud got up and started to move. And when it started to move, the response wasn't great. We saw that initially they said, okay, we'll go, but then we saw the people begin to murmur and complain. And last week we saw four lies that our flesh tells us. The first lie that our flesh tells us is that we know better than God. You know, the, the, it started to move, the clouds started to move, and they started to murmur. You know, God had delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. They've got, he's part of the Red Sea, he's done miracles, and now he starts to lead them. They're under the coolness of the cloud, and it said they were bummed out about their hardship of having to walk through the wilderness. Now, they thought they knew better than God, they began to complain, and you know how, how many days they were into their journey? Three. Three days into their journey, they're whining already. You know, after 400 years of bondage, they've forgotten that already. They've already forgotten about their bondage, and now they're whining about their circumstances. Now, we saw that it got even worse, because now the cloud's moving and they're complaining, but now they begin to complain even more. Remember that what happened is God brought fire down from the sky. You remember that? They started to complain, and the people on the outskirts of the camp, what happened to them? They got smoked, right? And what does that tell us? We need to be near to God. When you get away from the Lord, guess what's going to happen? Your life's going to fall apart. Because without Him, you can do nothing. You need to be desperate for the Lord at all times. You start trying to do stuff in your flesh and do it on your own, you're in danger of falling into judgment, danger of falling away from the Lord, and danger from, of having your life fall apart. The Bible says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. And what happened was they began to murmur and complain because the cloud was moving, and those who were straggling behind, the Lord brought judgment against them. Well, not long after that, what happened next? They started complaining about what? Who remembers the next thing? Their food. God's raining manna down from the sky. All they have to do is get up in the morning, take a few steps, and gather up all this pastry type of stuff that tastes so good, pastry with oil, and it was good for you. Can you imagine having, donut, having like Krispy Kreme donuts that were good for you, Right? And that's what this was like. Man, it was good for you. It said it was healthy, but it was like this pastry. It was really tasty. And what did they do? They started crying. Well, I remember back in Egypt, we used to get fish and leeks and onions and garlic. It was awesome back there. And we talked about how our memory lies to us. Isn't that another lie the flesh tells us? It always tells us that that again, that we know better than God, and the other things it tells us is that the things of the world are better than the things of God. Have you ever had Christians tell you that? Well, are people that talk to you, I, I don't want to become a Christian because then I couldn't have any more fun. It's so fun to go out and get lit and wake up barfing in the gutter. I'd miss out on that, right? And we have this thing that we're going to miss out on something great if we turn our lives over to the Lord. And they have this selective memory, and I'm, we're all guilty of that. You know, you remember when you, you would, maybe if you dated in college or high school, and you would think back about the relationship months later, and you thought about how wonderful it was? And then some of you went back and got back with that person? And then after two days of fighting like cats and dogs, you remembered it wasn't so great after all? Right? You know, sometimes we look back and we have these selective memories about things behind us, and they start complaining about the food. I'm thinking, the food? What about the beatings back in Egypt? Remember that? Remember they used to take you out and whip you? 
Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, right? I mean, they're thinking about the leeks and the onions and forgetting the beatings. What about the heat of the day? What about 400 years of bondage? But they remember the leeks and the onions. And the second lie that is told is that we know the things of the world are better than the things of God. And then we saw that it finally had an impact on Moses. And I have to confess to you, I'm surprised it took this long. Because then what happened next? Three million people got out, it says, they went out to their tent, the edge of the tent, and they started whining. It said they were weeping. Three million people were weeping because they missed the stuff in Egypt. And Moses finally flips a switch, right? Can you imagine pastor in that church? Three million whiners. Thanks a lot. And he looks up to God, and what does he say? God, you know what? Could you just kill me? Remember this from last week? He's like, Lord, just... Could you just kill me? Do me a favor, kill me. I got three million people in my church and they're all whining about wanting to go back. You brought them out of bondage. We went through the Red Sea. We're headed to the land of promise and they're all whining. Breaks God's heart. And so we see that it even impacts Moses because the fourth lie the flesh tells, a third lie, is that God doesn't care about you. And there's a lie that God just doesn't care. God doesn't care about the details of your life. Do you know that God cares about every detail of your life? Do you know he numbered the hairs in your head? That when you hurt, he hurts. When you grieve, he grieves. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. That's the God we serve. And the enemy tells you, God doesn't care about you. Yes, he does. Amen? He loves you. And then lastly, we saw the fourth lie, along with God doesn't care about you, is that your problem is too big for God. Remember how he said, the people are crying out for, for food, and, and Moses comes and says, Lord, how am I going to feed all these guys? It's impossible. What, we're going to get all the fish out of the ocean to feed three million people? It's impossible. You want me to kill the cattle we've got on the way to the land of promise? We won't have anything to eat when we get there. Lord, we don't know what, we can't, I can't do it. And the Lord says, is my arm too short? Well, you don't think I can do it? I parted the Red Sea. You don't think I can feed some people? And then what did he do? He brought quail. You remember that? Now, in the midst of all this, he also blessed Moses. If you recall, what did he do? Moses was overwhelmed. He's got three million whiners in his church. And what did God bring him? Seventy what? He remembers. Elders. He brought 70 assistant pastors, and he filled them with the same Holy Spirit, and they surrounded the tabernacle, and God said, you're not going to be alone anymore, Moses. I'm going to get these guys to come alongside you and hold up your hands, and you know what? You're not going to be alone in the ministry anymore. You know what? Ministry's not for the Lone Ranger. I praise God. You guys have no idea what a blessing our assistant pastors are to me. You have no idea. I can't even put it into words what a blessing these guys are. They just are servants, 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 servants. And they do things that you have no idea. They free me up so I can minister to you and counsel you and study and be prepared. And if it wasn't for them, it would be impossible. And praise God, they have the same spirit that, and that same calling and the same passion. And God says to Moses, you know what, bro, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you 70 guys like that. Now you might say, he only had 70 assistant pastors and 3 million people. How come you got 5 assistant pastors only 250 of us? Well, they had Moses and you got me, so there you go, all right? But here's the reality, that we, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. It's good to have that numbers of safety around you. And so we see, again, the lies the flesh tells us that you know better than God and we begin to complain about our circumstances and the things of the world are better and we complain about our provision and God doesn't care and your problem's too big for God. And you know what that does? When we start thinking from a fleshly perspective, we start to think that God's not sufficient and we start looking at our problems and we forget about our God. 
Why did everybody else chicken out when Goliath came down and David didn't? Because everybody else saw 11 foot 750 against a puny man, and David saw a man against Almighty God. He said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? I don't know what your circumstances are right now, and you might be complaining about it, but I want you to know something. Our God's greater than them. Amen? And he can take care of all of it. Get your eyes off your circumstances and put them on the Lord. Now that brings us to the chapter tonight. It's a short chapter. It's only 16 verses, but it's got some, some awesome stuff in here. And what we're going to see as we look at this chapter is we're going to see what I titled the message, The Green-Eyed Monster. You didn't know the green-eyed monster was in the Bible, did you? But it sure enough is. What's the green-eyed monster? Two things. What is it? Jealousy and envy. You know, the green eyes of envy and the, and, and the green-eyed monster of jealousy. And we're going to see that not only did the people complain, but guess what? Moses has two people closest to him. So he's got three million whiners, and now guess what? He's got his brother and sister that are in the ministry with him, and now they're going to start whining. And we're going to find out why. The rebellion in the camp continues as we move from the murmuring of the people who aren't satisfied with, with what God is providing to envious accusation of those chosen by God to minister to His people. Remember this. All sin is rooted in pride. All sin. You know when we sin? When we start thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We start thinking we're more important than we really are. Let me ask you a question. Does God need you? We need Him. Amen? We need Him. He doesn't need us. He chooses to use us. But we need Him. We need to be desperate for Him. Well, as we go through this chapter, we're going to see the sin of pride come out in envy. Pride looks at every aspect of life of how it's going to affect me. You ever done that? Something comes up and all we think about is, how does that impact me? How does this impact me? You know, I'm always on my mind and that's my problem. I'm always thinking about, well, how does that impact me? Oh, that's, well, that's good for me. Well, great. It's going to crush everybody else. Well, too bad for them, but it's great for me, right? And that's pride. I think about my personal comfort, my position, my possessions, my plans for life. Pride causes me to complain, right? I complain about my circumstances. Well, I shouldn't be treated like that, right? What do you mean we got to march? That's what they said last week. We're at Mount Sinai. We're just chilling, right? The Lord's like, I got a land of promise over here, dude. You're in the desert, okay? We got an 11-day walk, land flowing with milk and honey, and they're whining after three days. And what happens? An 11-day walk turns into a 40-year death march, right? That's what happened because of rebellion and complaining. And you know, some of us, in our walk with God, we're the same place we were 10 years ago because we're on a 40-year death march. We're complaining and we're murmuring instead of following this, the cloud and, and being obedient to God. We're going to see that tonight. We complain about our personal comfort. We complain about, about living according to God's divine provision, not what I want. And as we'll see tonight, pride is going to cause Miriam and Aaron to elevate themselves in their own minds to envy Moses and his God-appointed position. So here's the four points in tonight's message, if you take notes, titled The Green-Eyed Monster. Number one, envious accusations against Moses. So they're going to accuse Moses. Second of all, we're going to see God's swift judgment and personal consequences for sin. So we're going to see them envy Moses, and then we're going to see God's swift judgment and the personal consequences that come. Then we're going to see re repentance and intercession. So envy first, then God's swift judgment, 
and the repentance and intercession. And then finally, we're going to see that sin not only has consequences on us, but on those around us. When we sin, we have consequences in our life, but it impacts the people around us as well. So let's take a look at this, again, pretty short chapter here, beginning in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 12, looking at the envious accusations against Moses, the green-eyed monster. Look, look at verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Does this guy ever get a break? It seems like no. I just had three million whiners. The Lord brought quail down from the sky. What happened when they started eating the quail last week, remember? They died. They whined out for quail. They whined for quail. Quail, quail, quail. Well, no, they didn't say quail. Meat, 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 meat. The Lord said, okay, here's your quail. They started eating it and they died. You know, one of the ways God judges people is he gives them what they want. I want, I want, okay, there you go. I knew it was bad for you. It'd be like your five-year-old beating on the, on, the, on the door, wanting to go play out in the street. And finally, you just, and then a bus hits them, and then they blame, Dad, what you? You know, that's what happens. And, you know, we, we, we complain and complain and complain, and we just say, God, give me, give me. Finally, God says, okay. Uh, it's not my will, but I'm not going to stop you. Go ahead. And then we get in trouble. God, why did you let this happen to me? Well, the three million whiners, they've been eating quail, and some of them have died. And now you think, okay. God's judgment's coming to the camp. Maybe they're going to straighten up. And here come Miriam and Aaron. Now, who are Miriam and Aaron? Who's Miriam? His sister. And who's Aaron? His brother. Now, Miriam, remember that she started off really awesome. Because Miriam was the one back in Exodus chapter 2 who was used by God to save Moses' life. You remember this? They were killing the babies. They put them in a little ark of pitch. She went out, put them in the water, and she followed along to watch what was happening. And then when Pharaoh's daughter picked him up, she ran in and said, do you want me to get a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you? Oh yeah, and it took, took him right back to his own mom who nursed him. She was a brave young girl, used mightily by God. In Exodus 15, she was a worship leader. They were worshiping the Lord. And in Exodus 15, verses 20 and 21, she gets out a tambour. A tambour I think that's like a tambourine, I don't know. Ken, is that right? Somebody? But they're beating something that makes sound. I know nothing about instruments. That's why I teach and I don't sing, okay? But they're beating on whatever this instrument is, and she begins to sing in celebration. Some of us have sang the song, the horse and rider have been thrown into the sea. And she's leading worship with all the women, and they're singing together. So she's used mightily by God to deliver Moses, and now she's a worship leader. But watch what happens to her. We'll see this in a minute that we've got to keep our eyes on the Lord because if we start getting puffed up, we're going to get envious real quick and we're going to get prideful real quick. So that's Miriam, this woman, this protector. This, she's also described as a prophetess, which means God speaks through her. So she's a worship leader, she's a prophetess, and she's a protector of her little brother. What a mighty woman of God. But guess what? Just like any of us, we can make a mistake. Now she's bringing accusations against her brother. Now, who's Aaron? He's the what? He's the what? The high priest. Is that a high calling? Yeah. Who gets to go into the Holy of Holies? Aaron. Who else? Nobody. This guy has an extremely high calling upon his life. And now he's murmuring against his brother. Now, this actually doesn't shock me about Aaron. Does this shock you? What do we know about Aaron so far? I'd have fired this guy, I think. You go up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and you come down, and he's got a golden calf. Everybody's lit, and they're having an orgy dancing around this golden calf. Fired! So fired, right? But God's grace, it wasn't God's plan. So 
you know, Aaron was used mightily by God, but I praise God that he actually shows the frailties of men because this guy, not, the, not like my assistant pastors are pretty faithful. This guy's a train wreck, right? So what does he do? Ah, oh, my brother. And starts complaining. It's his brother. Now, we know from looking at the text here that Miriam is the key complainer. How do we know? It names her first. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. And the word spoke against in the original Hebrew is written in the feminine form of the word. So it's the feminine form. So Miriam's the instigator. And that doesn't surprise me either because Aaron's not much of a leader. Aaron's a follower. And, you know, Aaron's pretty milk toast for a high priest, okay? So we see here that these guys come against their own brother. And they start murmuring against him. And why are they murmuring against him? Well, their first excuse is really just that, an excuse. Look what it says. They spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, some believe that maybe his first wife had died, and this is another. I think this is the same woman, Zipporah, who was a Cushite, which is also a word for Ethiopia, could be Cush. She's a Cushite. He's been married to her for a long time. And now they're like, we got to find something against him. What are we going to get against Moses? He's hanging out with God all the time. He's glowing. I mean, we can't talk about that. What can we get him for? His wife. That's it, right? Well, attack his wife. And so they come in and say, dude, you didn't marry a Jew. You married a... Now, you got to understand that prior to them getting into the land of promise, God never told them they couldn't marry someone who wasn't a Jew. Matter of fact, as long as she was a proselyte, it didn't matter. If she converted, then he could marry her. And he had married her. And so they're complaining against Moses, trying to find something to bring against him. Now remember, these are the people that were supposed to be holding up his hands. Now I find this comical. What can Moses have said to them? You know, you married an Ethiopian. You guys were worshiping a golden calf last month. You want to trade notes? Right? What are you talking about? Now Aaron doesn't, I mean, Moses doesn't do that. Moses is a humble guy. We're going to see in verse 3. He loves the Lord. He doesn't, re, you know, he doesn't overcome evil with evil. You don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with what? Good. A soft answer turns away wrath. They're attacking Moses. He's not even going to defend himself. He's going to leave that to the Lord. They say, you married an Ethiopian woman. And again, often man's ploy when he's trying to elevate himself is he will tear down others. Isn't that true? I want to look good. I'll tear everybody else down around me until nobody's left. Right? I'll just tear them all down, make them all look bad. I'll tell the boss, that guy came in late last week. Did you, did you notice? Yeah, that guy took a long lunch. Yeah, that guy in the last project, he was napping. That guy over there, you know. And we start tearing everybody else down to make ourselves look good. And Miriam and Aaron are envious of their brother. And they're envious, so they're trying to tear him down. Now we see the real accusation. Look at verse 2. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Here it is. What is this? Envy. Has the Lord not spoken through us? The green-eyed monster of jealousy and envy enters the camp. And they go, well, the Lord speaks through me too. I'm pretty special. Why, why is everybody looking at Moses all the time? Now, I also believe there's another problem here. What just happened at the end of the previous chapter? Seventy what were appointed? Elders. Oh, this is getting in my gig now right? I mean, she was like, now Moses was number one. I, we're like two and three. Now what are we? You got 70 new elders up in here. I mean, but I'm a prophetess. I'm a worship leader. Aaron, I'm the high priest. How come 
you're getting all the attention. You got 70 new elders. I'm getting kicked to the curb over here. What's up? And they start to envy and be jealous. Can I encourage you with something? Don't strive for position. Amen? If God wants to put you somewhere, he'll put you there, and you don't have to strive for it. But I want to say this, too. On the other extreme of that, when Moses was called by God to go, he went. Amen? Remember at the burning bush, what did he say? I can't do it. I can't, I'm a stutterer. I can't do it, right? And then the Lord said, I want you to go, and he went. He didn't strive for position. He wasn't tearing other people down. He wasn't knocking everybody out of the way to be elevated. But when God said go, he said, yes, Lord, I'm here. I'll go. And God's looking for us not to elevate ourselves, but he's also not looking for us to go hide under a rock somewhere and not be used either. Some people say, well, I'm not supposed to elevate myself, so I'm not going to go to church, and then nobody can elevate me, right? I mean, the reality is that when God calls us, we still need to go. Don't fight for position, but say yes, Lord, when he calls you. And that's the kind of man Moses was. But now they're getting envious, and they're, they're getting upset. And envy often will... Again, it's one of the most subtle sins there is. Envy and jealousy. You know, you know what it is? It's that whimpering whisper that says, how come him and not me? How come her and not me? I've been at this church longer than that person. How come I've been at this job longer than... How come that guy got promoted? How come that person got that? That doesn't seem fair to me. You know, I bust my tail. If the coach really saw how hard I played, he'd let me play more. And we get this envy and jealousy, and we start trying to tear others down. Who's in control? God is in control. We don't have to promote ourselves. You promote Him. And let God take care of the rest of it. You know what? I don't, my job is not to promote Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. We're going to lift up Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? And, and God will draw all men unto Himself. He says, if He be lifted up, He'll draw all men unto Himself. And so what happens here is we see these personal, it's not fair. You know, I, I, I want what you have. I wrote down, this is my definition. This is not Webster. Envy. Envy. My wanting what you have, whether it's possession, skill, or position. And jealousy is my fear that I'm going to lose what I have. Envy is I want what you have. Jealousy is I don't want you to take what I have. What do you get jealous of? Some guy's talking to your girlfriend. You get jealous because he might take her away from you. This is mine. Don't touch my stuff, right? That's jealousy. Envy is I want something you have for me. And I believe they got both of them. They want Moses' position, and they're jealous of these 70 new elders that have been lifted up. Hey, this is getting into my program here. And maybe they're going to forget about me. And so they're envious, and they're jealous, and they go on the attack. And they want to say, but God spoke to us too. God speaks to us too. Don't forget about us. Shine some of that spotlight over here. Don't put all of it on Moses. Give me some of it. Let me have, you know. And that's what's happening. You know what's interesting? Envy always starts with sibling rivalry. It's one of the main places you see it is in your home. And you know how I know that's true? The first family, Cain and Abel, what happened? Cain killed Abel because he was envious and jealous. He saw that his offering was being accepted, and he said, oh, dude, wait a minute. What about me? Remember pride? It's thinking more highly of myself than I ought to. And so we see Miriam and Aaron who should have been holding up Moses' hands. Everybody in Israel knew that Moses and Aaron, Aaron and Miriam were God's chosen servants, but they also knew that Moses was the leader. And Miriam is leading this rebellion against her brother. She's listed first. She's the one that's in feminine form. And again, she's envious of his position and she's concerned, again, that she might lose out because of these new elders coming in. 
So she begins to tear others down. In Proverbs 14, it says, A sound heart is life, but envy brings rottenness to the bones. Titus chapter 3 says, For we ourselves are also were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, slaving for various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, He is proud, knowing nothing, sick, concerning doubts and arguments, from which, he comes, from which comes envy, strife, and evil speaking. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You get proud and boastful, that's when you become disqualified for ministry. As a matter of fact, it refers Timothy, he's really speaking there to those who are being used by God in leadership. So Miriam and Aaron become prideful, they're focused on themselves, they become envious and jealous, and instead of being blessed by how much God had done for them, they were just envious and jealous that they didn't have more. You know, I want to encourage you with something. When you pray, start off with worship, and then thank God for the things He's given you and start listing them. Amen? And I promise you, you get through worship and praising God for what He's already done, and the problems you were going to pray about aren't going to seem real significant anymore. Amen? You start off prayer with God, you are great, awesome, holy, righteous, just, and true. You're the creator of the universe, you're the Alpha and the Omega. Besides you, there is no God. Thank you for adopting me into your family, making me your best friend. Thank you that I'm going to heaven. Thank you that I'm your son. Thank you that you forgive me for my sin. Thank you that I'm ha-ha heaven bound, right? And you start praying like that, and then you start worrying about what's going on at work, and it's not that big a deal anymore. Amen? You still pray about it, and you put it into his hands, but you've got to realize whose hands you're putting it into, and you've got to realize what he's already done for you, so you have nothing to worry about. And so we see here, instead of being blessed by what God had done for them, they were murmuring. Remember that the letter I is the middle letter in pride and the middle letter in sin. And you know what? Because it's all about me when I'm prideful. And it's all about me when I'm sinful. I get my eyes off of God. I get my eyes on me. I forget what He's done for me. And I, I go on a 40-year death march through the, through the wilderness instead of heading to the land of promise and realizing what I've been delivered from. I'm not in bondage anymore. One of the things I used to say at work a lot, I still say it, when people would start to murmur, I just, I would always, you going to heaven? Are you going to heaven? Well, yeah. Okay. Perspective, amen? Going to heaven? Well, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Got that, you know. It's kind of significant, amen? I mean, we need to remember what a blessing that is. We're going to heaven. Now look at what happens here. Moses doesn't say anything. Now watch what God says about Moses. This is great. Now the man Moses was very humble more than all men who are on the face of the earth. Now, is this a direct contrast to his brother and sister? How do these people grow up in the same family? Ever thought that before? How do these people got the same mom and dad? How is that even possible, right? You got the most humble guy on the planet and two people that are extremely blessed, a high priest and a prophetess, people that are blessed mightily by God, being used mightily by God, and they're complaining from the same parents. Humility. Remember this. Sometimes people think humility is, is thinking lowly of yourself. Right? So they, you know false humility? No, I'm no good. I'm worthless. Oh, he's so humble. You're not humble. Get over it, right? Here's what, here's what humility is. It's not thinking low of myself. It's not thinking of myself at all. Amen? It's not about me. I'm not a part of the equation anymore. That's humility. For Moses, it wasn't about him, was it? 
Moses was, these are your people, Lord. Let's get them out. You want, where do you want me to take them? Let's go. I'll follow. Let's lead. Let's do it, Lord. I'm a stutterer, but with you I can do it. Lord, you've told me I'm going. Let's go. That's humility. And it's thinking, not thinking of yourself. Take yourself out of the equation, and boy, do things get cleared up. Should I do this? Okay, well, let's forget about you for a minute. Do you think this needs to be done, right? Is this God's calling? Does God, is there a need here? Yeah. Forget about you. Well, it's inconvenient for me. It's got nothing to do with you. Amen? He's humble. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. The word meek means strength under control of the master. One of my favorite illustrations for meekness, you ever see those Clydesdale horses? They have in a beer commercial, which isn't great, but you ever see those big horses? Are those things weak? No, but they're meek. You know why they're meek? They're under control of their master. They're big and strong, and if they ran over the top of me, they'd kill me. But they're meek because the master has the reins and they go wherever he leads. That's meekness. It's strength under control of the master. And that's the kind of man Moses was. God had made him strong, but God had made him humble and meek. That he was, whatever you say, Lord, I'll go do it. Now watch what happens when he doesn't respond. Because these envious actions are going to result in God's judgment. So how does God respond to people accusing this humble man? And how does this humble man respond? He doesn't try to vindicate himself. He leaves it in the Lord's hands. And watch how God deals with it. Verse 4. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. And there's an exclamation point there, right? Now, for one person, this is an okay thing to hear. For two people, this is not so good. You think getting called into the principal's office is rough. How'd you like the creator of the universe saying... Miriam and Aaron, come out here now. Oh, that's not good. I've just been accusing Moses. That's not good. Get out here. Oh, exclamation point. Not good. Call them out. And these guys, guess what? And I love the word here, suddenly. When do the consequences of sin come? Suddenly. Amen? They're right there, man. You go out there, boom, there it is. Suddenly, quickly, God's right there. His eyes are on us all the time. And suddenly, and quickly, because when they were complaining back in verse 2, it said, and the Lord heard it. And they were murmuring against Him. And here comes God's swift judgment. Suddenly, swift judgment. God heard their words, their evil motives, and now He's going to come against them. Now notice, I want you to see something there. He calls them by, in what order? Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. In verse 1, what was the order? Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. They were trying to elevate themselves. And the Lord was putting them back in their place, right out of the sheet. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam get out here. Now, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say this. The Bible tells us, and, we, and this is a, a great illustration, that a clear conscience is a soft pillow, right? If you're walking with the Lord and you're obeying Him, you can go to bed at night and feel great about it. Amen? The Lord's in control. It's all good. Your bills might not all be, you know, perfect. You might have a bunch of money in the bank, but you know what? I'm walking with the Lord, and it's great. I'm, I'm, it's good to be here. If you're living in sin and you're struggling in your walk, it's hard. There's conviction. There's difficulty. Well, when they're called out, Moses is walking with the Lord. And here, here's the Lord's voice. He's probably like, oh, this is going to be great. Aaron and Miriam hear the Lord's voice. Oh, no. Right? Well, this isn't good. Right? Get in here. Oh, no. And so watch what happens here. Come out, you three. And they come out. Now look at it says there. Come out. So the three came out. You know what? You can't hide from God. You can't hide. 
He knows where you are. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're doing. You can't escape his, his sight. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. Now they knew they were in trouble. Because he doesn't call Moses. You know, Mo, just stay right over there. Aaron, Miriam, get over here. Uh-oh. We're in big trouble. Now it's interesting that the Spirit has fallen at the door of the tabernacle. Where did it usually dwell? In the tent. But guess what, Aaron? I know you're the high priest, but we ain't going in the tent for this. I'm talking to you right out here. Okay? Right here. In front of the people, I'm going to discipline you. You murmured against my servant in front of the people, I'm going to discipline you in front of the people. And he brought him in, and the glory fell down at the tabernacle. He didn't let him into the holy place, and he dealt with him outside. The consequences of sin. And imagine being them in rebellion and disobedience is what has put them exactly where they are. Verse 6. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord myself, make myself known to him in a vision, I speak to him in a dream. What's, what question is he answering? What's he talking about? Verse 2. What did they say in verse 2? Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Did he speak through us too? And then the Lord says, let me clarify for you guys. Look at verse 6. There's prophets, and how do I speak to them in dreams and visions? Hey, Miriam, I speak to you in dreams and visions. But I got a higher calling on Moses' life. Look at verse 7 and 8. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God makes it clear that Moses is more than a prophet. He says, you know what? I speak to prophets in dreams. I speak to prophets in visions. But me and Moses, we got a, we got a special relationship. He's been up on the mountain with me. I appear to him. He sees my form. He's seen my glory. He's different. I've got a higher calling upon his life. God spoke directly to Moses with no need of an interpreter and no need of a parable. He says, I don't share him things in the dark. I make it really clear to him. And then he says to them this, Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant? If you were here on Sunday morning, we saw Paul's testimony. And do you remember when he got knocked off his high horse? What did Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. But who was he going after? Christians. And now we know that when people persecute Christians, they're persecuting Christ. When you go after believers, you're going after the Lord. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You went after my people, you're coming after me. Those are my kids right there. Hey, I'll tell you what, you want to see wrath? Go after someone's children. Amen? If I ever get disqualified from ministry, it's going to be going after somebody, going after one of my kids. Because that's, that's my week. I just confess openly. Someone goes after one of my kids, I revert into a whole nother gear. You know, ugh. Just recently, we had a basketball game, and my son's running down court, and all the other kids have already run down court, and my son's running behind everybody, and nobody sees him because everybody's got their eyes on their own kid. And this, this other kid and my son are kind of battling. He runs up behind my son, and nobody sees it. And he literally, and you can see anger in his face, and he sticks his foot out, and he trips my son on purpose and throws the elbow behind him, and he goes face plants into the, blam! My son's laying on the ground. His, his, I, we thought he broke his hand. 
And nobody saw it. Referee didn't see it. Coaches didn't see it because they're looking at the other end of the court. Now, Pastor Dave, not doing very well. Because I go walking by, and I'm already not happy because my son's laying on the ground crying, and I walk by, and I see this kid in the huddle smirking. Yeah, I got away with it. You know? And he's just got a grin on his face. So I'm walking by, I catch the grin, and I stop, and I said, I walked up and got about five feet, and I said, young man, I saw what you did, and I don't appreciate it. Well, I didn't trip him. How do you know what I was talking about, right? I said, I saw what you did, and I don't appreciate it. Then his mom came after me. Don't you talk to my son that way, right? And then I apologized to her, and I apologized to the referee, and I apologized to the coach because I should have talked to the parents, and I should talk. But, you know, you're fle- when someone comes after your kids, how do you respond? I don't like it, right? It's your fle- you know what? Someone could probably hit me in the nose, and I, I, and it'd be, I'd probably be, but they hit one of my kids in the nose. Now, that's what the Lord said. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You go after my kids? Oh, not going to be good for you. You're blind. How about that, right? That's what happened. Now they're talking. It's a good thing I didn't have that power last week, right? You're blind. Crippled. I'll see you in a week. When you're, you know, that wouldn't be good. That's not what the Lord wants us to do. Don't overcome evil with evil. Don't say, Pastor Dave said he wished some kid was blind. Don't say that. No. You don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. But you see here that the Lord doesn't take it lightly when people attack his kids. And now they're attacking his servant Moses, aren't they? And the Lord says, hey, all Moses has done is serve you guys. All he's done is lead you through the wilderness. All he's done is, is go before Pharaoh on your behalf. All he's done is been my instrument to part the Red Sea. And now you're attacking him because of your own pride. And the Lord says, you should be afraid because when you attack my servant, you're attacking me. We need to be careful what we say about those who are serving the Lord. Amen? Don't, don't be so quick to blast people that God's using. May only good and encouraging words come out of our mouth. Don't go home after church on Sunday and have roast pastor, okay? Right? I mean, you know, if I blow, come talk to me, right? I'm, I'm a man. I'm sinful. I blow it, right? If you hear some guy in the rate, don't blast him. Pray for him, right? Pray for him. So he says to them, why were you so quick? Don't be like that. If God places men and women into authority, then he will be the one that removes them. Leave them in God's hands. Amen? Pray for them and leave them in God's hands. Verse 9. Now watch this. You don't think God gets... Look what it said. Verse 9. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. See? You go after God's kids, you've got to deal with God. So they went after Moses. This is, my, this is my guy. We're tight. And you're going after him. And it says, and he departed. So what's the first result of, of sin, of envy, of jealousy? The first result is broken fellowship. Look what it says there. And what? He what? He departed. God went away from their presence. What happens when we sin? We break fellowship with God. God cannot have sin in His presence. He's perfect, holy God, and He will not have sin in His presence. That's why, you know what a sign of spiritual maturity is? It's the distance between when we sin and how quickly we repent. Amen? When you mature in your faith, when you sin, it's it's seconds, not weeks or months. It goes hours, days, hours, then minutes. And before you know it, you're, you're convicted and it just drives you to your knees. That's spiritual maturity. And the Lord departed from them. Fellowship was broken because of their envy. Verse 10. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became what? Leprous. Do you think God is serious 
about people speaking against those that he's called and he's using in a mighty way. He's very serious, isn't he? Miriam, prophetess, worship leader, right? Protector of Moses, speaks against him, and God gives her leprosy. Now, what is leprosy? We've been talking about this. It's an outward picture of sin, right? And leprosy was a death warrant. You get leprosy, you just die on the outside real slow, and everybody gets to watch you. Your fingers start falling off. Your nose falls off. You start smelling like a dead person. People, you have to tell everybody, unclean when they get near you. And that's what happened to Miriam. Why? Because she tried to elevate herself. Moses was humble. He wanted to elevate God. She tried to elevate herself. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So not only broken fellowship, but divine judgment and personal consequences. God's judgment was upon Miriam, and and you know what? Everybody would know it. She couldn't hide this. We're almost done. She couldn't hide it, right? You have leprosy, everybody knows. She's walking, oh, what happened to her? She she was talking trash about Moses, right? Do you think anybody else was going to be murmuring against Moses anytime soon? Oh, what happened? Leprosy, oh, I don't know. Mo, you rock, right? <laughs> Moses, right? I mean, not going to talk bad about Moses anymore. Now watch this, though. With quick judgment, we're going to see repentance and intercession. So Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord. Now wait a minute. What was he just saying about Moses a few verses ago? Now, Moses, you got an Ethiopian wife, man, and God speaks to me just like he speaks. Now he's, oh, my Lord, right? What happens? God's, the consequences of sin bring him to a place of repentance, he went from murmuring against Moses to crying out to him. Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly, in which we have what? Sinned. Verse 12, please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when it comes out of her mother's womb. It's interesting. Aaron knew the significance of, re- of leprosy, that it was, a, it was a death sentence. And what does he do? He goes from murmuring against Moses to crying out to Moses. You know, I want to say this too. This is a sign that they're not very spiritually mature because it's not until leprosy hits that they repent, right? May we not be so closed off in our walk with God that we have to wait till we get hit by a bus to repent. We have to wait till we lose everything to repent because if we have to wait till we lose, then we will because He loves us enough. Those who the Lord loves, He what? He disciplines, He chastens, right? And He loves you and so if we don't repent, at the conviction of the Spirit, then God will just keep bringing it until we get to that point where the end of ourselves and we finally look up. And he brought leprosy, and then they repented. Verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Now is this the sign of a spiritually mature brother? He could have said, Got what you deserve. Talking about me. Aha. Uh-huh. Leprosy. There it is. Could have walked through camp? Hey, go check out Miriam. That's what happens when you talk about me. <laughs> Just want to keep that in mind in the future, guys. Pray for her, please. Keep that for a while. Have her drag around the outside. Let's bring her by every tent so everybody can see. Put a, let's make her a t-shirt that says, Talk Trash About Mir- Moses. Right? This could be you. Talk Trash About Moses. Right? Could have drug it. And instead, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, Got what you deserved. Instead, his heart's broken and he prays for his sister. And says, Lord, heal her. She's been talking about me. It's okay. Lord, you protect me. And Lord, I want to pray for her. You know, if your boss is just hard to deal with, pray for him. Amen? 
You got a, you got a neighbor, it's just really difficult. Pray for him. Don't, don't murmur against him. Don't say, oh, he lost his job. That's what he deserved. Don't do that. Pray for him. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I've worked at a few places where it's weep with those who rejoice and rejoice with those who weep, right? Oh, you got a promotion? Man, you got, oh, you got, you're in trouble, huh? Really? Oh, it's too bad. <laughs> Lost that big account? Oh, it's going to make me look good. Oh, too bad, right? That's not how God's heart. And we see Moses looking at him as an example. He's meek and he's humble and he prays. He didn't say that'll show him. He said, Lord, forgive him. And then lastly, sins consequences on those around us. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had, had spit in her face, would she not be shunned for seven, shame for seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Now, Miriam's sin brought consequences to herself, but it impacted the entire camp because she was now ceremonially unclean, she had to be outside of the camp for seven days. Remember that? Right? When they were unclean, outside the camp for seven days to be cleansed. Guess what had to happen? The entire camp had to stop moving. The entire camp couldn't take another step because of her uncleanness. You know what? When we sin, we not only impact our lives, but we impact those around us. You know, when we sin, we blow our testimony. It can impact the way other people think about God. It's a serious thing, especially for those in spiritual leadership. You know, if you've been called by God, and you're somebody who disciples people, or the people at work look up to you as, as the Christian guy or gal in the office, or you know, you're teaching a Bible study, or, or you're an assistant pastor or a worship leader, or head of the women's ministry, or the, whatever it might be, there are people that look at you. And not that we're perfect, but if we blow it, we stumble people. And God's called us to be above reproach and to live in a way that would not cause other people to curse our God, but would cause other people to hunger to know our God. Amen? People should say, man, what's up with you? Now, some of you know, and he's not here. Let me just make sure. Okay, he's not here, so I can talk about him. There's a guy that I've been witnessing to for three years that got saved on Sunday. Praise the Lord. And it was my son's little league coach. And it just blesses me. I can't even tell you. I've been praying for him, been sharing the Lord with him, been praying. And I'll never forget him coming up to me at one of the Little League, ga- after one of the games, and he said to me, he said, Dave, all I, want, all I know is I want faith like you've got faith. Like you and Hav. Hav was our worship leader. You guys have, I want that. Where did that come from? How do you get that? You know, and, and he, he's grown up going to Catholic church, has never been taught the Bible, and he came Three Sundays in a row, and last Sunday, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he was weeping. He got saved real good, as they would say. Amen? But you know what? May I, my prayer would be that I wouldn't be blowing head gas because it's a little league field and, and knocking umpires down and him going, oh, that God of yours is really great, right? Instead, it should be that we should be living in a way that people would say, who's this God you serve? I want to know him because I've seen what he's done in you. Amen? We should be salt and light. We should be contagious to the world around us. You know, he says, speaking of elders, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that they may rest, the rest may also fear. Those who are called by God are called to a high calling, but guess what? They're also going to face greater judgment in the eyes of God. And those who blow it when they're, you know, when they're serving the Lord in a place of ministry better be careful. Amen? And we need to walk, but those of us too, 
where you work, if you're the Christian in the office, may you be an example for the Lord. It says in Deuteronomy, remember what the Lord did to Miriam on the way when they came up out of Egypt. He says, guys, don't forget. I love you enough to bring consequences in your life, to bring you to the end of yourself. And it may slow up the people around you, but I love you enough to do it. So in closing, the green-eyed monster, envy and jealousy, comes into the camp. It has personal consequences. What does it do? It grieves the heart of God. When we, when we blow it, we grieve the heart of God and we break fellowship with Him. It also renders us ineffective for ministry. When I'm envious and I'm jealous and I'm promoting myself, and I'm, don't you hate pride when you see it in other people? Doesn't it just absolutely fry you? You see it in someone else and go, man, it gets on my nerves, man. Get over yourself already, right? And, but yet we have the same problem. In ourselves, we call it esteem. And that was pride, right? The Bible says deny self, not esteem self. Amen? You want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. So it has personal consequences, and then it also impacts those around us because it blows our, tes- blows our testimony, and it stumbles others in their walk. I'll tell you what. May we not allow envy and jealousy. May we not be about promoting ourselves. May we only promote Christ. Amen? Let's promote Him. He's worthy to be worshipped and to be praised and to be honored, and you and I are not right? Don't worry about position. If you have a burden for ministry, I believe God's put that there, and you just start doing it, and you just start serving, and in God's timing, He'll put you in a position where He'll use you. You be faithful in the small things, and God will use you in the greater things. Amen? Just be faithful where you're at. Ministry's not a destination, it's a way of life, and we're all in it, right? And you know what? Don't be striving for position. Don't be striving to get my attention or anybody else's. Don't try, don't try to do things so you look good before men. You just serve the Lord with your whole heart and love Him and pray for His people and watch what God will do with you. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show Himself strong on account of. That's my prayer. Lord, let me be that man. May we, you be those women and men that He would look and He would see us. Don't, may we not fall to the green-eyed monster. May we not allow pride to seep into our lives. May we be people like Moses, where God would say, there's my humble servant. I can use him mightily. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the love and the grace in this chapter as well, that though Miriam blew it and there were consequences to her sin, we thank you that by your grace you healed her and you restored her. We thank you, Lord, that Moses was continued to be used mightily by you, but Lord Aaron continued to be the high priest. Father, I thank you that you are a God of of first and second and fifth and tenth and one thousandth chances. Lord, I pray for people in the room tonight that maybe feel like they've been away from you or been struggling in their walk. May they know that you are a God of love and grace and mercy. But Father, I also pray that there are those here who are tempting you in the sense that they're living in sin and they have not turned away from it. Father, I pray that it wouldn't take leprosy to get them to repent, but Lord, that your Holy Spirit, even now, would bring conviction, and Lord, they would turn away from their sin and turn to a God who loves them and cares, who will lead and guide and direct them in holiness and a right walk before you. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. You're such a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.